Hi, welcome to episode 489 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott. And I was watching the Super Bowl last week, and there was this commercial for Mountain Dew, which didn't make me want to drink Mountain Dew, but it did make me want to eat a puppy monkey baby. They look so tasty. Today, it's Fantastic Four, Volume 3, Number 60, a.k.a. Fantastic Four, 489, from October 2002. What? This is like the third issue in a row with an October 2002 date. Busy month for the Fantastic Four. It's by the new creative team of writer Mark Wade, penciler Mike Wiraringo, and inker Carl Kessel. Now, the normal cover price of the Fantastic Four at this time, in 2002, was $2.25. But there was a special direct market version of this issue offered for the low, low price of $0.09, cents, meaning I acquired it at a discount of 96%. Not bad. And I didn't even have to dig through the quarter bins. In addition to the new creative team, another significant change for the book, starting in this issue, is a change in the lettering. Still, by Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts, Albert Deschain. And is that necessary? Do they always have to introduce Albert Deschain as Comic Crafts, Albert Deschain, Desnisny? I don't know how to pronounce that. Does anyone really care? And why does it always take two people to letter the Fantastic Four? That seems rather odd. So anyway, starting this issue, the lettering features lowercase letters. No longer is the lettering in all caps. Which, I kind of like the all caps. It just seems more comic booky. Oh, and then there's also a new logo. And the less said about that, the better. Terrible logo. Awful. It only lasts for 20 issues. So the issue begins in a dark room with a group of men and women, hidden in shadows, watching a presentation on the history of the Fantastic Four. I guess they figure with the new creative team and the low nine-cent price and the lowercase letters... They'll be picking up a lot of new readers, so they better fill them in on who the Fantastic Four are. The man leading the presentation talks about the fa Fantastic Four's trip into space, their weak shields, the exposure to cosmic rays, and the powers they developed after they crash-landed back on Earth. The guy says that the Fantastic Four have turned tragedy into triumph, using their powers to help mankind, and to become pioneers of science, calling them Imaginots. And now he says, they are clients. The presentation ends with the lights coming on. He goes on to say that FF licensing revenue is down 22%. Wizard Magazine hasn't hot-picked the FF comic in months. Vanity Fair passed on a Ben Grimm interview. And worst of all, Johnny Storm got bumped from the Howard Stern show in favor of Danny Bonaducci. Now that is embarrassing. Now if they had Ben Grimm on the Howard Stern show, that would be fantastic. An hour of Howard Stern grilling, grilling Ben about his sex life? I would pay money to listen to that, that's for sure. If, you know, Ben Grimm was like a real person. So this group has been hired to help out. It seems they're some kind of a public relations firm. And the guy in charge assigns this redheaded guy with glasses, Mr. Scherzer, to meet with the Fantastic Four. Is that safe, assigning a redhead? He better be careful, or he's going to get boned. So later, Scherzer is on his assignment with the Fantastic Four, 
aboard their interdimensional transport vehicle, and Johnny keeps asking, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? He has to pee really bad. Ben gets mad at Johnny for his complaining, and accidentally spills his coke on Johnny. Is that smart, to be drinking a soda on this trip, where there's no place to pee? Scherzer is stuck between Ben and Johnny, and he's just staying quiet, trying to stay out of the way. Reed stretches his head around and tells Ben and Johnny to knock it off. Sue points out the window, telling everyone to look. And there's this big hunk of rock, with rockets on its back, and this big mouth-like opening in the front. It looks like a whale mouth. Reed tells Scherzer, You might want to stay inside. And Scherzer replies, Might? The FF leap out of the ship and onto the surface of the rock, which Reed calls the Datavore, a self-sustaining dimensional probe used to gather information from the dimension, the Laviaverse. The Datavore is covered in big flying insect creatures, which the FF start fighting off. Reed is worried about the large insects messing up his Datavore, and he expands his body over the mouth of the ship and bounces a bunch of the insects away. One of the insects attacks Johnny. It seems to be fireproof and hungry. It says, Eat blood, life, warm, hunger, hurt, taste, fire. Ben comes along and swats the creature away. Reed sets up his high-tech bug repeller, which will keep the rest of the insects away. And then the FF return to the ship. Now, why didn't Reed just put up that high-tech bug repeller in the first place? So the FF returned to the ship. I assume Johnny took a moment to take a leak on the Datavore before they went back. Back on the ship, what's his name? Ugh, why did he make it so hard to remember? Shirt, sir. Ask if they do this all the time. Take trips up to other dimensions like they're going on a Sunday drive. They arrive back at the Baxter building and are greeted by an excited Franklin. When we last saw Franklin, he was a student at the Stern Academy. It seems that particular plot point went nowhere. I wonder if Mark Wade even read the recent previous issues and knows anything about the Stern Academy. Reed gives his son a gift from the other dimension, a glowing object called a macroatom. What kind of terrible father is he? Giving his son a strange object from another dimension? Fest is asking for trouble. They mention Reed and Sue's other child, the baby Valeria, is in daycare with a sitter on the moon. So already they've brung back Franklin and gotten rid of Valeria. Mark Wade is off to a great start. Sue wonders why they need a PR firm to fix their image, and Reed explains that they get most of their money for research and development from the sales of licensed merchandise. Back with the interdimensional transport ship, which really needs a catchy name. Of course, they did bring back something dangerous. In this case, it's one of those insect creatures which crawls out from under the ship and hides out among some barrels of stuff in the hangar. So later, on another day, a Monday, Johnny, Sue, and Mr. Schertzer are outside the building, standing on a force field, while Johnny opens up an access panel to do some repairs on the security system. Schertzer is terrified, and he thinks he killed a guy when he accidentally dropped a quarter. As he works, Johnny mentions a girlfriend that he recently broke up. Her name is Jennifer. Who's Jennifer? And whatever happened to Namorita? Why did they break up? Or did Mark Wade just not know that Johnny was dating Namorita? Like... Did he not read some of the previous issues? Mr. Schertzer is still freaking out over standing on an invisible force field. So Sue decides to make it even worse by messing with his head by turning parts of his body invisible as well. 
Johnny finishes up, and Sue says that she has something important to discuss with him, but he says he's got to go, and he flies away. So on Tuesday, Mr. Scherzer is there at another location, not the Baxter building, with the Fantastic Four and these other people, who aren't identified, and a liquid spills on the floor, negating the gravity in the room, and everyone starts floating around. Scherzer, using his Blackberry, sends an email saying that he thinks he's going to die. Reed has Johnny Flame on and burn up the liquid on the floor, which he does, but not fast enough to stop some other guy from flying out the skylight and up into the air. With Ben holding on to Reed, Reed stretches up and grabs the guy, and they reel him in, back into the building. And then Reed gives a lecture to the people, who are scientists, on the dangers of playing with liquid null gravitons. Considering all the crazy things that Reed has played with, maybe the scientist should be giving Reed a lecture on the dangers of playing with all the crazy stuff that he plays with. And they can start with the dangers of giving your son an object from another dimension as a toy. In his email, Scherzer writes that while Reed is totally into science, the other members of the FF have their own interest. Johnny likes to work on cars, Sue is busy with motherhood, and Ben watches a lot of wrestling. Yeah, wrestling. A bunch of men in their underwear jumping all over each other. I wonder what Ben likes the most about wrestling. He goes on to write that when Reed wants them to jump into some kind of crazy adventure, they do so without hesitation. Ben is looking over the PR guy's shoulder as he writes his email, asking, why do they do what they do? Ben replies, why do you think? And Scherzer replies, because you're superheroes? And Ben laughs to himself and walks away. On Tuesday, Ben has gone shopping with Sue at her request to buy a grandfather clock, which he's now carrying home, complaining the entire way to Scherzy. Scherzer asks Ben how it feels to see himself on merchandise. This was 2002, when the Fantastic Four actually appeared on merchandise. Ben even appears on an unlicensed rap music album, says Scherzer, as they come across a group of young men on the street rapping. You know my street. You couldn't take my blows. See you crying while you're dying, trying to find some heroes. I totally thought they were going to say hoes. The rap group are excited to see Ben Grimm in person, and they hand him a copy of their album, Clobberin' Time, with a picture of the thing on the cover, and he's got a ring, his thing ring, to do his thing. One of the kids says, You the chim, Mr. Grimm, bust this. Was that real slang in 2002? I don't think so. Oh, and he does some more rapping. Think you know what I ought to do? Well, hater, hate to say it, but I got news for you. You don't know my street. You couldn't take my blows. See you crying while you're dying trying to find me some heroes. Not me. I don't let no one mess with mine. Just step off, hater, or it's clobberin' time. Oh, I'm... I'm such a good rapper, aren't I? So good. I could... I could... I could marry a Kardashian. Which one is the good-looking one? Caitlyn? I'll marry her. Actually, the rapping goes on and on, and I'll spare you the agony. I mean, the fantasticness of my rapping, and proceed with the story. So Ben takes the CD... But as he's walking away, he tells Shirkle that he's not all that impressed. And later, on Tuesday, Ben is relaxing in a chair, trying to read a book, but he's got a song stuck in his head. Not me. I don't let no one mess with mine. Just step off hater or it's clobberin' time. Who can blame him? That is catchy. Friday, yeah, Thursday was a kind of a slow day. Friday, and Franklin is blowing bubbles. 
but not just any kind of bubbles. No, they're special bubbles, obviously created by his father. They're square bubbles. Now, if Reed is concerned about money, just just sell the square bubble maker. I think that would probably sell very well. So Franklin is on his dad's shoulders, and he's talking to Sue, who is still wondering why they enlisted a PR firm. And they're in a museum, and they walk up to an exhibit of a Mandelbot, and there's a sign saying it was rampaging through Egypt and the USSR, but was defeated by the Fantastic Four. Now, at this point in 2002, doesn't the reference to the USSR already seem kind of out of date? So a group of kids sees uh, Reed and Sue, and they rush over, and they start asking for autographs. And one of the kids says, Thank you, Mr. Elastic, which answers Sue's question as to why they need a PR firm. Reed says, They'd kind of like people to know who they are. So on Saturday, at Mr. Shirkle's office, Shirkzer's office, whatever his name is, so hard to remember, he's meeting with the makers of the new Fantastic Four comic book. And get this, they've got radically redesigned costumes, and the name of the book isn't Fantastic Four, it's FF. Shirkzer says, "Uh, thank you, but no, you've got it all wrong. You know, they need to send him eight years into the future to tell the real people at Marvel Comics, no, you got it all wrong. So he goes on to tell the comic book people that the FF aren't superheroes. They're astronauts, envoys, adventurers, and explorers. I feel like this is Mark Wade's subtle dig at some of the previous FF writers who don't quite get that. He tells the comic book people to make the comic book more about the people and not the costumes. And people will care. Maybe he should travel to 2016 and tell the real people at Marvel... Oh, never mind. I'm actually glad there's no longer a Fantastic Four comic book. I can finally end this podcast in a year or so when I'm done. And I can do that podcast that I've really wanted to do, cooking recipes of pre-World War I Germany. So the scene ends with the comic book people wondering why Reed is concerned about being in the spotlight. And in our final scene, Reed is holding Valeria, on loan from the babysitter on the moon whoever that is, it's got to be the Watcher, right? If the Watcher needs a part-time job for a little extra money, being a babysitter totally fits his skill set. So he's telling her a story about a very smart man who did something very stupid. And he looks at a picture of the FF and their astronaut uniforms from before they got their powers. And since the accident messed up their lives and turned them into freaks, and really, it only messed up Ben's life and turned him into a freak, Reed figures that by turning them into celebrities... He someday might be forgiven for taking away their normal lives. Johnny and Ben come in, wearing Indian outfits, after some screw-up in the time machine. And then Sue comes in and says, they need some days off, but there's always going to be something new to deal with. And Reed replies, I certainly hope so. And that is the end of the first issue of the Wade Weringo run. I think it's a good first issue. Wade seems to have a good grasp of the characters and understands what the book is supposed to be. It's interesting how first issuey this seems to be. Definitely going out of their way to introduce these characters, explain the book, scraping off the barnacles of the previous 59 issues and starting over again, except for Valeria. I'm surprised they kept her around. They could have had somebody come around and kidnap the baby forever, like they did with Spider-Man's baby. But nope, she's still here, unfortunately. And you know what? This is the way to relaunch a book. You have a new creative team. You have a first issue at a special price. You redesign the logo. 
You do everything you can to let people know that this is the perfect jumping on point for new readers without the annoyance of canceling the book and relaunching it with a new number one. I recently reread all my Punisher comics, and what a nightmare! There's so many first issues, it's hard to figure out what order to read them all in. At least it was easier than rereading my old Spider-Man comics. With so many crossovers in the 1990s, I had to print off a list off the internet just to let me know which issue, which order to read them in. Oh, so awful. So where was I? Oh, I guess I'm done. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott, at podcastff. And you can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. <laughs>